series, I call it Thinking for a Change. And thinking is something that happens, of course, in your brain. It happens between your ears. And you may not think, depending on where you come from and what your value system is, that that's that important. But the truth is that it's supremely important because of the role God ordained for your brain to play in your life. This is from the book, The Signature of God, by Grant R. Jeffrey. He writes, The human brain is the most complex organ in the known universe. While it weighs less than three pounds, it contains an amazingly intricate connection of nerves with more than 30 billion special cells known as neurons. In addition, there are another 250 billion glial cells that facilitate communication between the neurons. Incredibly, every one of these 30 billion neurons is connected by other neurons in a staggering degree of complicated connections. Every neuron is connected directly with more than 50,000 other neurons, allowing instantaneous transfers of messages across your brain. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that you're watching two 10-year-old boys throw a football back and forth. What's happening? What's happening in their brains? Every, in less than a second, your brain, their brains, calculate the trajectory of a football thrown at 30 miles an hour toward the other person without warning. In a moment, the brain of that person calculates the position, the ball's ultimate trajectory, and sends detailed electronic messages to the muscles in his arms and legs at more than 300 miles per second to move you into position to catch the ball. Despite hundreds of billions of dollars and 50 years of advanced research by computer scientists, there are no computer systems on the planet that can equal that level of processing. This marvelous instantaneous computing is what is required to allow a 10-year-old boy to catch a football. Something that we might watch happening and just think, well, that's just instinct. That's just natural. That's just, well, that's something that doesn't happen without millions of calculations by your brain. Now, how many of you were planning to throw the football around today? All right. Whatever you were planning to do will also involve your brain. Even if, since it's Sunday, you might not be working, you might have thought, I'm going to fill today with, we sometimes refer to it as brainless activity. You need to understand, there are no such things. Everything you do involves your brain. For instance, I just raised my hand uh, as a gesture that I learned someplace in public speaking class. All right, But the thing is, I probably, if you asked me, thought I did it without thinking. But the truth is, my hand won't move unless my brain tells it to. So in my brain, between my ears, I was calculating the value of raising my hand. Am I raising it too much? Is this a point worthy of a 
hand point, okay? I've been doing public speaking so long, I probably surmised that I didn't even think about it. But the truth is, if I didn't think about it, it wouldn't happen. So we call this lesson, this series of lessons, Thinking for a Change, because change is something that happens in your world. We often talk about changing behavior, which is a misnomer, but it really isn't even behavior that we're looking to change. It's the condition of the world around us that we somehow feel will be impacted by our behavior that we really want to change. Well, in this series we're going to learn, no change happens without thinking without thinking differently if you want different behavior. Uh, for instance, you take uh, people, I don't know if you uh, have studied at one point or another, the 12 steps of recovery. Okay. Well, those 12 steps are really 12 ideas. They are 12 ideas that are far different from the ideas that have driven your life if you've been a practicing addict. They're an entirely different way of thinking. They are an entirely different way of thinking that will automatically, in time, produce a different way of behavior. But without the change of thinking, it won't happen. I mean, every person who's had an addiction and tried to quit has always started working with the thinking that's always worked for them. Well, I can quit anytime I want. Almost every addict says that at one point. I just don't want to. Okay. But the thing is, until you realize you can't stop, then you can stop. That's a different way of thinking, isn't it? That's the first step. Congratulations. You just practiced the first step. When I realized I can't do this, that was the doorway to different behavior. As long as I kept trying to do it myself, noble of you to try, it's not going to work because that's not how recovery works. Every change of behavior in life is exactly the same thing. Real popular on TV right now are advertisements for a new diet plan. Okay? Dieting is a change of behavior. You eat what you're used to eating, what you think you like eating, and it's not producing the kind of results you'd like in your body, so you go, I'm going to go on a diet. Okay? And a lot of people go on a diet, and they try to diet behaviorally, and they find it excruciating, don't you? It's like you're dreaming about a piece of cake or something like that. It's like, this is not going to work, I'm going crazy, because... It's not just a behavioral problem, it's a thinking problem. And on this advertising, they're talking about a new program that tries to help you rethink your ideas about food. And they show the guy growing up, and as he's growing up, his mom is showing love to him by giving him an extra helping and telling him to clean his plate. And here, have some more of this. Oh, I have another piece of cake. I don't want to eat it. Okay? And, and by doing that, it's implying the idea that love and acceptance and affirmation is communicated through food. Not only through food, but through uh, food and second helpings of food. Then later, if you go, wow, i got to cut back on the mashed potatoes, 
All right? You can say that if you want. You're probably not going to do it until you change your thinking about mashed potatoes. Do you know there's nothing loving about mashed potatoes? Okay. Yes, they taste good. But part of the reason we think they taste good is because they make us feel so warm and fulfilled inside, right? But do they do that? Does an extra helping of mashed potatoes make my world any better? It doesn't. Does it make my behavior any better? It doesn't. Okay. Oftentimes it may help compensate for the fact that my world sucks already. And so I think if I have some potatoes, I'll forget about it. But, and that's all right. Hey, we've all done that. I'm just saying, if you've done that, then you know that changing that behavioral pattern isn't going to happen by your will. It's going to happen if you ever get around to changing your thinking about food. That's the idea that Paul has in mind when he closes his letter to the Philippians and says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul's saying that, why? He's saying that, by the way, in the context of a famous passage, Dave read it, in which he's commanding us to do certain things. Like, he starts out by saying, what's the first command in Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9? You just read it, Dave. What's he start out with? What's the first word of the passage? Remember? Rejoice. Yeah. And he's saying, you need to learn to rejoice in every situation. Right? Most of us don't think that way. <laughs> okay? So we can say that. We say, okay, I want to start rejoicing even when everything's going wrong. No, you're probably not going to do it because you think you know what's best for you. He's saying now you need to transplant the way you think if you want to behave differently. If you want to ever get to this point where Paul was at, where he could rejoice no matter what was going on in his life, well, then you're going to take a change of thinking about God, about you, about life, about your feelings, about your comfort zone. Then you're going to get to the place where you can fulfill the command to rejoice always. Well, because this is the case, we could say, also, what Joyce Meyer says in her classic book, The Battlefield of the Mind. She says, the greatest struggles of life are fought in the mind. Not spiritual battles. A lot of times we think about spiritual battles. Not physical battles, though a lot of you are, I mean, we just prayed. 90% of the prayer requests that come in are all about physical battles. <laughs> okay? Because that's where we think the battlefields are. And I'm not saying don't pray about those things. I'm saying, like... Maybe we need to put more emphasis on praying for people's way of thinking to change. The greatest struggles of life are fought in your mind. So today we call this lesson to start with, setting the context. This means war. What I mean is, if you say, there are some behaviors in my life that definitely need to change, you're going to have to start not with the behavior, but with the thinking that triggers the behavior. 
And to do that, you're going to have to declare war on that thinking. The thinking isn't going to change because you go, excuse me, you've done nothing but cause me trouble all of my life. I'd like you to go away now. Those thoughts are not going to go away. They are way tougher than you are, obviously. You're going to have to declare war. I'm not going to be at peace until I see you gone and destroyed and removed from my life. That's the kind of attitude it will take if you want to change thinking that motivates behavior. Now this battle, Paul talks about in the opening parts of the verse, so we're going to talk about today. What kind of a battle is this battle between our ears? It is a critical battle. Critical meaning significantly important. The first word is the word finally. Now, when an apostle in his letter says finally, or when a pastor in his sermon says finally, okay, don't think it's the end. That's not what they're saying. Okay? Many a person has gotten really discouraged by that. Go, oh, good. I'll make it in time for the football game. Oh, oh, oh good. Uh, the, the roast won't burn or whatever. Does anybody do a roast during church anymore? Anyhow, that kind of, kind of thinking. Finally here doesn't mean this is about the end. It means now this is the bottom line. If you don't remember anything else I say, Paul says, remember this. Finally, this is it. This is the critical point. This is the idea, the way of thinking that has the power to change everything else. Finally, um, a battle it invites us into that affects every other dimension of life. If you discover a behavior that you'd like to change, so you have the courage to look at the thinking that's behind the behavior and you address changing the thinking, what you'll find out is not only does that behavior change, but several other behaviors that you didn't even recognize were connected will also change. That's why sometimes when you when you are ministering to somebody who's had a compulsive behavior and addiction, okay, and they do go over, uh, develop a new way of thinking which produces better behavior, they now say something like this that people on the other side never understand. They go like, you know, I don't even desire that anymore. I don't even think about it. I don't even... Well, why did that happen? Well, that happened because not only did that activity change, but the new way of thinking produced several other major changes that you weren't even looking to change. That's how critical this can be. I think that's what the writer of the proverb meant when in the Bible it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, look at your world. Because in truth, it's not our behavior we really want to change. We want to change our condition, okay? which is a product of our behavior, and we may have come to that conclusion. Now, today you're learning that behavior is not the end. Your behavior is a product of your thinking. And so the proverb writer says, just as you think, however you think, that's the way your world is going to look. Um, I know from counseling without mentioning names or people, 
I have people who went through horrendous experiences in their childhood. And as a result, are bitter, negative, can't forgive, can't let go, depressed all the time. And that's understandable. But the truth is, I know other people who've been through very similar experiences. And they seem to have not allowed it to dictate their future. Why is that? It has to be because one person thought about their experience one way and other person, people thought about it and saw it differently. The result? Different behavior, different feelings, different attitudes, a different environment as a result. There's a famous quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson that I like very much and I think explains a lot. I also like it because it's quoted in one of my favorite books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So somewhere along there, you hopped onto an area of your life or a dimension of your life that you don't like. Like, let's start way out with your destiny, your legacy. Where it looks like if your life ended today, what would you leave behind? Okay? You don't like it. Well, then what you need is not to change your destiny, but to change your character. Well, how's that going to happen? In order for that to happen, you're going to have to change the things you do. Not just the things you do once, but the things you do day in and day out over and over again, someday you wake up and your destiny has changed. But can you do that by just, by the strength of your will, changing your habits? No. Uh, it doesn't happen that way. You need to do it once in a different way. Okay? Uh, if you've been smoking every day for the last uh, 40 years, all right, then you're not going to break that way of thinking by quitting smoking for one day. Now, you're never going to do two days if you don't do one day. <laughs> so, I highly recommend it. I'm just saying, it's going to probably take, before you break it entirely, 40 years of not smoking, just like you smoked 40 years. You'll still be healthier and happier if you don't fully break it, but to break it will take as long as you practiced it. But you can only start moving in that direction one step at a time, one day at a time, one cigarette at a time. But where do the actions come from? Interesting, isn't it, that Emerson starts with, so a thought. Nothing happens differently in your life, in your world except it starts with a different way of thinking. A battle, a critical battle. It is a universal battle. When pastors preach, you preach on a variety of topics and themes. And the truth is that when you preach, you sometimes know, well, this applies to some people, but hopefully the other people are generous enough 
to cut me some slack as this doesn't probably apply to them. But the truth is, this problem applies to all of us. Male, female, younger, older, pastor, congregation. It's all of us. No matter where you live or what your personality is like or what your family background was, there is a battle going on here and if you care to win the battle, your life will be better, will be different. If you just give up, nothing will ever change. It is a universal battle that is one that is fought by every growing human being. Now when it comes to growing human beings, by the way, you can grow spiritually or not grow. You can grow physically or stop growing. By the way, did you know there was a moment in your life where you stopped growing physically? Right? And you get old, you start shrinking a little bit. All right? But you physically, your growing was over. When was that? You were like 19, 20, 21 maybe. Did you know that the next day the day after you stopped growing, whenever that was, you started dying physically. Okay? You're not growing this way doesn't count. Okay? <laughs> We're talking about physically developing. When you're done, then you start down the we say that, don't we? You're over the hill. We don't ever say it by somebody who's twenty one. Like if they say to you, those of us who are like fifty, sixty, seventy Right? And somebody says to you, well, you're over the hill now. You can say to most of them, you're over the hill too. You just didn't realize it. <laughs> but that's not true. The opposite, in fact, is true of spiritual growth, mental growth, and emotional growth. Every day you can keep on growing, developing, maturing. Or not... Okay? And the truth is that if you don't, you not only don't mature, but you probably regress. And some of you might have done that. Okay? This is a battle that is fought by every growing human being. Now, we're talking about intellectual growth. Okay? The way you think. Is your thinking more mature now? than in previous times? Here's one of the ways that you determine that. How many of you have ever asked this rhetorical question? What was I thinking? Right? You have, haven't you? Okay. And when do you ask that question? When you just did something dumb. When something just blew up. When you did something the way that you think you know was the wrong way. Right? But have you ever noticed you never answer. And that's part of the problem. It's a healthy, God-given ability to ask, what was I thinking? Because if you ask the question and honestly answer it, you can now keep from repeating the behavior. But do we? No. Chances are in a few days, you'll be saying again, what was I thinking? Well, the answer is, you're probably thinking the same thing you were thinking the last time you did it. 
But you never answer the question. You never have the courage to answer the question. If you ever asked the question, what was I thinking, and honestly analyzed it with stark transparency, you would see your marching orders for making change. So if you'd like to stop doing that stupid thing, then here's what needs to change. You ask the question, have the courage to answer it. Then what do you do if having the courage to answer the question, you find something ugly? Know this. If there is ugly behavior in your life, there is ugly thinking behind that behavior. The fact that you haven't admitted it doesn't make it not exist. So what do you do? Paul had that problem, and he said this. When I discover in my life ugly thinking, here's what I do. I demolish it. That's an interesting translation. means I blow it up. I destroy it. I take it out with the garbage. I get rid of it. We demolish every argument and every pretension. What's pretension? That's when you're denying the facts. That's denial. That's what keeps you holding on to garbage thinking, right? That's producing garbage behavior. And you're wondering... How come I didn't get rid of that? Well, you didn't get rid of it because you're lying to yourself about it. You're saying, it's not that bad. You ever have something stinky in your garbage at home and then you were lazy or it was really, it was like a day like today and it was too cold and you went like, then after a while you went, it's not that bad, right? Did you do that? You've done that same thing with your thinking. You've gone like, Wow. Where did I get such a disgusting idea that causes that behavior? Then about five minutes later you went, it's not that bad. Didn't stink that bad. It's not that disgusting. Yes, it is. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's not talking about, in this context, knowing God, the knowledge of God. It's talking about the knowledge of God, the way God looks at you, the way God looks at your life, the way God looks at the world you live in, the, God, the way God looks at reality. He says, this stinking thinking is the enemy of my perception in God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Well, who is it that demolishes bad thinking? Me, I'm the only one who can blow up my bad thinking. I can't blow up your bad thinking. Some of you have had like an adolescent in your house who had bad thinking, and you tried to get rid of their bad thinking. How'd that work for you? You can't do it. They're the only one who can get rid of it, and they're probably not going to get rid of it until they really suffer as a result of it, and then they'll probably get around to trying to get rid of it themselves. You can't get rid of it. It's your wrong thinking that you can eliminate, that you can throw away. Henry David Thoreau said this, Think for yourself, otherwise others will think for you without thinking of you. 
Okay. Thinking that if I don't think about it, it will go away is the biggest lie of all. Because your bad behavior and the consequences of your bad behavior will only go away if your wrong thinking goes away. It is a diverse battle. Diverse means multifaceted. A battle that is expressed in many fashions and forms. That's why Paul gives us a list. Do you like lists? Lists are kind of nice. Okay? And in his list, he says, here are some things you need to aim for. Think true thoughts. We're going to talk about that next week. Think noble thought. Anybody even have an idea what noble thoughts are? Because I didn't if I didn't look at the original language. Admission. Okay. We're going to find out. Right thoughts. Pure thoughts. Lovely thoughts. Excellent thoughts. Praiseworthy thoughts. Now, here's the question. If I said to you, you know, I don't even know what true, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy thoughts are. I'm not even sure I have any of them. Where might I go to find some of these? I'm asking you. Thank you. Yes. That's why God gives us the revelation of his word that says, here's the way life really is. Here's the way life really works. Like, for instance, there are some things Jesus said that people just went like, no, that's not the way it works. Even his followers sometimes said it, right? Jesus once said this. Somebody slaps you on the one cheek, just turn to him the other. <laughs> Go like, yeah, and get the crap beat out of you, right? That's what you're thinking, because that's how we think. But now think about it again and think about what Jesus said. Think about a, a bully, okay? They hit you once. And then you didn't respond, so they hit you again, right? It is no fun to hit somebody three times who doesn't hit back. You just took all the fun out of it and any need to repeat the behavior by not responding. Who thinks like that? Jesus. He's the one who said it, right? Okay? And the thing is, but when we hear it, we go like, no, that's not right. That, it can't, that can't work that way. It's our thinking that screwed up. Now, if that one's not one you want to go to, you're not ready for that yet, then I'm just saying, find one. No, but expect this. What God says about it and what you've come to think about it might be two different things, and guess what? It, one of them is wrong. And if you and God think differently, guess who's wrong? Yeah, you're right. That would be you. He's the only one who never has to say, sorry, honey, I was wrong. You were right. No, he never has to say that. He also doesn't gloat, so that's kind of nice. Paul says this in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now we know he's talking about behavior there. He's saying, don't act like people who don't know me act. All right, we're all on board for that. So he says, but be transformed by changing your behavior. Is that what he says? By the... Renewing of your mind. He's going like, I know that's not the way you behave. 
But if it's ever going to change, it's going to have to start up here. You need a new way of thinking, as we just determined, will come from God's revelation of who he is in the Bible. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You're never going to get to God's will. Which, by the way, when we're saying God's will, we're saying God's best. <laughs> I mean, there's the wrong thinking right there. If you honestly think that you can have a better future for you than God could have for you. That God's plan for you is inferior to your plan for you. Well, that's just dumb. That'd be a good place to start. There's no better plan for your life than the one God has for your life. So don't argue with him. But that's not going to happen, says Paul, until you conform your pattern of behavior. And you're not going to conform your pattern of behavior until your mind is renewed. Until you find a new way of thinking. Henry Ford said this about thinking. Thinking is hard work. And that's probably the reason few engage in it. Okay. You can't think too much. Analyze your behavior. Some of you who have a problem with judging other people and their behavior, their way of thinking, their feelings, Understand that that's just a cheap substitute for taking a hard look at your attitudes, your way of thinking, your behavior. I mean, after all, you can't change somebody else's behavior. You can change your behavior. But your behavior is not going to change until your thinking changes. You're not going to change somebody else's way of thinking. You can only change your way of thinking. It is a personal battle. Think about such things. And that is a personal, individual choice. I can't make you think about something. When this lesson is over, I'm going to give you a homework assignment, which is basically something to think about during the week. But 90% of you aren't going to do it. And I can't make you na-na-na-na-na. Okay? And that's true about everything. You've got to buy into it, and you've got to choose to do it, and then you've got to do it. And then guess what's going to happen next week? Next week you've got to choose to do it again, or it's not going to happen. It's a personal battle, one that defines each of us, and one that validates what we believe. Not what we say we believe, but what we actually believe. If you honestly believe something, you'll, in time, begin to think that way and then behave that way. David prayed a prayer at the end of one of his psalms that's a famous one, but it's very enlightening in light of what we've been talking about. He says, search me, O God. Now, by the way, whether you invite God to search you or not, He's going to search you, and he knows it all. He sees it all. If you've been trying to lie to God and like put on a good you know, show for God, that's pretty foolish because he knows it all. But he's going to do it. You don't have to participate. He's saying, the psalmist is saying, 
I'd like you to come search me and let me know what you found. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. David seemed to recognize that it all started with his thoughts. You ever have an anxious thought? Okay. How many of you ever participated in really great, positive, constructive behavior as a result of having an anxious thought? The answer is, if you're not ready for it, none of you. Okay. Anxiety produces frantic, out-of-control, unhealthy behavior. So David says, know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me. In other words, are there behaviors that are offensive to you, God? I'd like to eliminate them, but you need to be patient with me because I recognize that they start with my thinking and only you know how my thinking is contributing to my behavior. So I would like to ask you to help me replace those negative, destructive, unhelpful thoughts with constructive ways and lead me in the way everlasting. Now I'm blessed to have a carpenter present day. First service, Ed's gone on vacation. He's not here. No car. I asked the question, first service. Somebody actually still knew the answer. What is the carpenter's motto? Yeah. Measure twice. They say that in Norway too? <laughs> no. Just in America. I happen to think that's because he's a Norwegian carpenter. No. Measure twice, count once. In other words, spend more time analyzing the need than just acting. Because once you act, cat's out of the bag, right? Okay. Start by developing the thinking that will produce healthier behavior. Take as long as you need to do it. Go back and do it a second time if you do. And then act. It is a revealing battle. Think about such things. Such things. I wonder if at the end of today, whenever you go to bed, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock tonight, you stopped and think, such things, what would you be talking about? I saw this person, I talked to that person, I did this work, I went to that place, I got in trouble here. Uh, this was certainly a happy experience. Such things. Every aspect of your life, every moment. In other words, uh, you're waiting in line at Walmart. Okay. How many of you have ever, while waiting in line at Walmart, behaved badly? Oh, oh, good. I, I saw no hands and all of a sudden I saw all the hands there. They got, oh, John was honest enough to raise his hand. We can raise our hand. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Because, again, you became stressed. Your expectations weren't being met. The people in line were difficult. Now you're, you wouldn't have picked them if you would have known that. It's not like there's a sign going like, this line looks short, but it has, you know, four kids who are unruly and a lady with 101 coupons. You don't know that. Right? You get in that line because it's shorter and you're not happy. Well, that's going to reveal something about you, isn't it? Because at that moment, you've got a choice to make. What are you going to do with those few moments in line at Walmart? Well, I read the tabloids or whatever's there. 
I figure that's why they got them there, right? I don't buy them, because who would spend money on that stuff? But you can pretty well read an article or two and have a good laugh, or maybe even learn something, right? Or maybe you can actually take part in a conversation when somebody says, did you see what so-and-so did? You can go, ah, I sure did, <laughs> and talk about it as if you were there. Uh, so it can be awesome, but that's a choice, isn't it? Because you could also say, I wonder where the manager is, right? Which is probably going to, is that going to help? Is that going to get you any? Are they going to, next time you come into Walmart, everything's changed because you yelled at the manager. No, they're going to totally not listen to a word you say. Remember when you were like lecturing your kids? Like that, they're not going to listen to a word you say. Anyhow, you have choices to make every time you're in a situation you like or don't like, is pleasant or unpleasant. And those choices that you make are war. That's you waging war against your thinking. Ejecting wrong thinking, destructive thinking, unhelpful thinking, replacing it with positive, constructive thinking. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the flesh, the flesh means by your sinful natural instincts. I mean, everybody gets mad in line at Walmart. That's why I used it as an example. Okay? That's just your flesh. Hey, that's me too. If I'm not happy, then the natural result will be I'm going to make everybody else unhappy. That's my flesh. Okay. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. In order for me to act in a fleshly response to people, that must mean that I think I am the center of my universe. It's what it means when you do it. When you go... I don't care what's going on here, but I'm not happy. Okay? You're saying, and we all know that if I'm not happy, I'm not going to let anybody else be happy. Because, as we all know, I sit on the throne of this universe. That's what you're saying. Well, now that's a good example of, that's clearly wrong thinking, isn't it? I mean, have you ever gotten to a situation where you got really mad at somebody who was making your life uncomfortable, then you realized that they had some complicating problem they couldn't help, and then you felt guilty as all get out? That only happened because you started thinking, this is all about me, and then their issue suddenly alerted you to the fact, wait a minute, maybe it's not all about me. You think? Well, that's one of the chief Jesus ideas. It was basically went everywhere going, not all about you. First thing to remember, it's not all about you. It's not about how you feel. It's not about how long this is going to take for you. It's not a lot about how comfortable you are. It's about what are you going to choose to do in this situation? Well, what you're going to do is going to be what you think. And what you think is going to be determined by how you program your thinking. Edwin Markham said this, Choices are but the hinges on which the door of destiny turns. That's a poetic way, I can see most of you didn't get it, of saying, how did I get here? Oh, it was a series of choices. It was not fate. It was not karma. It was a series of choices. I remember the first time I asked that question. 
This is like a PowerPoint for many of you when you first ask this question. I was sitting in juvenile detention waiting for placement in the, in the uh, juvenile correction system. And I was sitting there in the waiting room, something I don't do very well, in the waiting room fidgeting and thinking, how did I get here? <laughs> and then I remember for the first time thinking, oh yeah, I could have done this, but I chose this. What? Oh yeah, I could have chose to go here, but I went there. Oh yeah, somebody invited me to do this. I said no, because I wanted to do this. Choice, 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 trouble. Now, if you lived a more positive, pristine life, you might have the opposite case because the same is true. How did I get here? What did I do to deserve this? You did nothing to deserve it. That because you're better than anybody else. You chose this, you chose this, you chose this, you chose this. Here I am. Boy, sometimes people will say, oh, so lucky. <laughs> My observation is luck has very little to do with it. A famous uh, baseball general manager once said, luck is simply the residue of design. In other words, people who have a plan and work their plan and move in the right direction, they seem to be a lot luckier than the people who live lives of chaos and just do whatever they feel like and live a life. You ever watch a pinball? Burn, 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 bouncing off whatever lever happens to hit them. People who drive their lives by good and godly, holy choices end up in good places. So here's your homework for this week. You're going to ask the question, what is one behavior that I would like to change in my life? Don't make a list. If you do, that's just a way of disguising the one that needs to change and nothing will change. No doubt, all of us could put together a list of things that need to change in our life. Pick one. Okay, I say pick the biggest one. Because what you might find out is that that one area might be affecting a bunch of others. So find something you'd like to change in your behavior, the way you act, the things you do. What is it? Then ask yourself this question. What ideas are occupying my mind when I behave this way? In other words, you ask the question, what was I thinking? But this time you have the courage to actually answer it. Now, you may go, I'm, I never studied psychology, I don't know. You don't have to study psychology. You just have to be honest. Because you've done it. You've looked at other people, saw their bad behavior, and thought, how are they thinking? And you knew the answer. Well, if you can know it for them, you can know it for you. You're just not honest enough to answer the question about you. People who behave this way are thinking this way. It's just the way it works. Every bad behavior starts with a thought. Okay? So if you're behaving this way, you can know it's because you think this way. Identify it. Write it down. Write it down because in the past you've asked, what was I thinking, and you never answered the question. Write it down. Then ask yourself this question. You identified the behavior and want to change. You've identified the thinking behind the behavior. Then you ask, where did these thoughts come from? When did I first start thinking 
this way. Did you know when it comes to people, just as an example of, of a habit that a lot of people would like to change, uh, you smoke. Okay? What we've discovered in psychology is why did you smoke your first cigarette in history? Okay? Chances are it was one of a few adolescent ways of thinking. I'll fit in better, I'll be part of the cool crowd, da da da. What, whatever. Whatever you were thinking. Or uh, my parents tell me everything to do and they'd hate it if they knew I smoked, so I think I'm gonna light one up. Okay, that kind of thing. Whatever reason you did the first one for, you're still smoking for the same reason. Now if you're going like, oh no, no, then that's clear the fact of how much denial you're in, because that's exactly the way it works. Now think how silly it is. For instance, if you if you took your first cigarette smoke because it made you feel like you were part of the in crowd. And now you're at the restaurant standing out in the cold while the rest of your friends are inside having your cigarette because you can't have it on the inside. You are no longer part of the cool crowd. You are a pariah on society. We make you stand outside. Okay? So that's not the way it works, but that's still the way you think. You feel that way, and so you can't seem to be able to quit. Any bad behavior falls in that same category. Why did you start doing it? Well, have the courage to ask yourself that question. If you need help, ask God for help. That's what David did when he said, Search me, O God. Know my anxious thoughts. Help me understand why I think this way, God. When did you first come to believe this, to think this? Then you ask the question, not until you've covered these first three points, but at the fourth point you go, what do I know from the Bible, from theology, from what I've learned at church that is a thought in the same area that can replace this thought? Okay? A thought that is a counter perspective of the way you currently look at things that is producing the bad behavior from God's Word that could in time begin to produce better behavior. If you need help with that, I can help you. But if you got a concordance, or you even have Google on your computer, you should be able to do it yourself. Just say, Scripture's about... And then whatever it is you think that produces bad behavior, and you'll probably find it. Next week, we're going to look at whatever is true. And the lesson is called The Lies We Believe. As we do, we'll look at lies you've typically come to believe, because human beings do, that need to be replaced. There are a bunch of them in the Bible. Talk about it next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this challenge from your word. <laughs> there are some things in our behavior in 2022, some of us call them resolutions, that we'd like to see changed. But we now recognize from your word that they will never change until our thinking changes. Would you help us this week to remember to do our homework? And when we do, <laughs> to find from you and from your truth, from your revelation, ideas that can change where we are and what's going on in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.